Well, hey, welcome to our, our channel, to our video. My name is Nate. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ Community, and we're so excited that you're tuning in today. Uh, it's a great message from Pastor Allen. But before we dive into that, I want to encourage you, be sure to like this video, subscribe to our channel. If you got questions about who we are or what we do, uh, you'll find our website down here below in the description. But hope you enjoy the sermon. Amen. You can go ahead and uh, take your seat. Hello, Christ community. So glad that all of you are here. It's great to be with you. We are continuing our journey through the book of John, and we find ourselves in a really fascinating passage that's actually quite unique to the entire Bible. So it's found in John chapter 17, where John, in this chapter, John records for us a prayer that Jesus prays the night before he is to be crucified. And we, so we have a front row seat into how Jesus prays, which is pretty cool um, in and of itself. But something happens at the end of this prayer that makes it incredibly unique to you and me. So in the final seven verses of this prayer in John 17, Jesus prays specifically for you and me. So we are actually the focus of his prayer. As KJ described last week, the first part of this prayer in John 17, Jesus is praying for himself. And then the second part, verses 7 to 19, Jesus is praying for his disciples. But in verses 20 to 26, Jesus shifts gears and he begins to pray for us. Look at verse 20. My prayer, Jesus says, is not for them alone. In other words, the disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. See, that's us. We are those who have believed in Jesus because of his testimony and the message that he, he proclaimed to the apostles and then they proclaimed that message and then it was put in written form in the scriptures. So in this passage, these seven verses, Jesus is, he's praying for you and me. He is specifically praying for you and me, which automatically raises our level of interest in this passage. I mean, think about this. If in these final moments on earth, Jesus' final moments on earth, he is praying for you and me, what is he praying for? <laughs> I mean, what is on his heart for us in his final moments on earth? What is on his heart for us to experience, for us to experience and grow in? Well, not surprisingly, it boils down to two foundational dimensions in our lives, our relationship with God and our relationship with others. So Jesus prays for us. When he prays for us, he prays for unity and he prays for union. So he, he prays for our unity with one another and he prays for our union with him. That is what is on Jesus' heart for you and me. Okay, so let's dive in and explore this further. First, Jesus prays for our unity with one another. Let's look together at this section beginning in verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that's us, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one, I in them 
and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you loved me. What Jesus is praying for here is incredibly beautiful and, and powerful, and it is so relevant to our lives today. He's praying for people to be one. I mean, we live in a society that is filled with hatred and division and back and judging other people. I can hardly stand reading my newsfeed because it is continually describing the bickering and conflict that's happening between world powers or between politicians or the royal family or Johnny Depp and his ex-wives or whatever, just on and on, right? Just all this bickering and all of this stuff. A few weeks ago when, when Buffalo Bills player DeMar Hamlin collapsed on the field, I mean, it, it was this powerful unifying moment for people, right? The game stopped and was canceled. Everyone was watching. It was this powerful unifying moment this realization that life is about so much more than football, right? But that was soon followed by people on social media, you know, vilifying and blaming the player who was involved in this legitimate non-malicious football block, right? I mean, it just seems that everywhere, even in moments like that, everywhere, even among us as Christians, this is not just, oh, the world out there is so messed up. No, this is this, even among us as Christians, there is this relational discord People are so quick to criticize and judge and blame and hate. And, and we can all see it. We can all see and experience what's happening and we're all bothered by it, right? We're troubled by it, but we don't really know the path forward. Well, this is where Jesus' prayer for us is so powerful and brilliant. He gives us a path forward, the path forward. Jesus' vision is for his followers to be a counterculture. I talked about this a couple weeks ago. In the midst of a judgy, divided, polarized world that we live in, Jesus is praying that we, his followers, would live in a countercultural way. We would live in a completely different way. He prays that we would be one that we would be relationally united in such a way that the world would actually notice. That's what he says here twice. Verse 21, that the world may believe that you've sent me. And then verse 23, then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you've loved me. See, Jesus is praying that the way we treat one another will be such an example to the world that the world will begin to believe in him. This is huge. Jesus is saying that one of the most powerful ways that we can impact our world is in how we treat one another. That's what he's saying here. That this is going to be on display for the world to see how we treat each other living in this oneness. Okay, so what exactly is this relational unity that Jesus is praying for here? What does it look like? I find that when Christians kind of lean into this passage, I find that Christians tend to apply this passage by focusing on how to get multiple churches together for some event. 
unity? How do we get multiple churches together for a worship night? How do we get multiple churches together for a serving day or whatever? Which is totally fine, man. I've been, I've been a part of many, many of those kinds of things over the years, and it's totally fine. But it seems to me, as I was studying this passage and reflecting on this passage, it seems to me... Shut up, Siri. Okay. Uh, it seems to me that what Jesus is talking about here is, is so much deeper than simply getting some churches together for some gathering. I mean, look, look again at how he describes the kind of unity that he's longing for us to experience and that he's praying into that his church will demonstrate. Look at this, verse 21. That all of them may be one, Father, look at this, just as you are in me and I'm in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. Notice the unity Jesus is praying for is actually modeled in his relationship with the Father. He says, just as the Father is in me, and I'm in the Father. This is the kind of unity I want you to demonstrate. So Jesus is using his relationship with the Father to demonstrate to us the kind of relational dynamic that he wants us to have with one another. Okay, so what is his relationship like with the Father? Well, it's a relationship that I would describe as being characterized by honor. By honor. There is a mutual honoring of one another. There's a mutual valuing of one another. The father values and loves the son. The son loves and values the father. There is a giving deference to one another. The father is continually talking about glorifying Jesus, and Jesus is always talking about glorifying the father. Jesus submits to the father's will by going to the cross, and then the father exalts Jesus above every name. See, there's no territorialism, there's no competition. In the, in, the, in the Trinity and the Father-Son relationship, it's, it's this beautiful relationship of mutual honor, honoring one another. And this is what Jesus is praying that we would experience in our relationships, a mutual honoring of one another. I mean, while the unity of large events and getting multiple churches together for a large event, while the unity of that is great, the foundation for one, the oneness Jesus is praying for is not in the large, it's in the small. The foundation is in the small. It's in the one-on-one -on -one relationships. Oneness is built on how we treat the one, right? The one that's sitting next to us. The one who is in our small group. The one whose personality grates against us. The one who irritates us. The one who has a different ethnicity than us. The one who makes more money than us or less money than us. Jesus is praying that his followers who will come from every nation and every tribe and every tongue and who will include people from every economic situation and every Enneagram type, and every, you know, every irritating personality quirk and every kind of wounding that can happen in the past and every political party, he's praying that, that his people that will represent all of those different groups will be one. That will be one. That all of these very diverse people who have chosen to follow Jesus will live in this relational experience of honoring one another and valuing one another and deferring to one another, and listening to one another, and loving one another. See, friends, that kind of community will be noticed by our divided culture. It will. That kind of community will be a compelling, winsome light 
to a culture where dishonoring and judging other people are the norm. See, this is the oneness Jesus is describing here. This is the oneness that he's actually praying for. It is a oneness that is willing to enter into the messiness of working through conflicts and hurts, moving toward relational tension rather than moving away from relational tension, right? I mean, that's Jesus is moving towards relational tension. Um, are, are, we will, are we willing to, to work through hurts and conflict by moving towards it, by, mo- by, by, by meeting together and talking it out? Or do we just avoid the conflict, right? Um, and then if confronted, we defend ourselves without trying to understand what the other person is, is really saying. Which do we do, right? Avoidance? Are we actually moving towards this? Jesus declared, this is fascinating, in the Beatitudes, he made this statement, blessed, blessed are the peacemakers, and then look what he says about them, for they will be called children of God. Notice what he's saying. We best demonstrate to the world that we are God's children by the way we handle conflict. <laughs> we demonstrate, best demonstrate to the world that we are God's children by being peacemakers, by moving towards conflict, by striving for healing and reconciliation in our relationships. When we live this way, when we live this way, as peacemakers, not peace fakers or peace breakers, we are peacemakers. When we live as peacemakers, we model for the world something that they long for, but they don't know how to experience. A couple of months ago, I had the privilege of sitting down with two men from our church who were experiencing a prolonged and painful relational conflict. Um, they, had, they had reached out to me to help facilitate some peacemaking. And there was hurt on both sides. There were assumptions that were being made that weren't necessarily accurate on both sides and they were just stuck in that place. And I was so proud of them. I was so proud of them for being willing to talk through this rather than just leave the church. That's easy. Leaving the church is easy. Working through conflict is not easy but it's Jesus-like. It has Jesus all over it. It's, working through conflict is not easy, but it's a specific answer to Jesus' prayer here in John 17. That's how significant it is. And so it was so, it was so oh, cool is not, I mean, it was just amazing really for me to help facilitate this honest sharing by each person and making sure that they were heard. Do you hear what he's saying? Do you hear what he's saying? And then to see reconciliation, forgiveness begin to happen. I saw Jesus' prayer get answered before my eyes. And it was beautiful. It was beautiful. So, so what makes that kind of reconciliation and, and, and relational healing possible? The gospel the gospel, right? This isn't just some self-help kind of thing out there. This is the gospel. Jesus gave his life for us on the cross in order to forgive our sin and help us be reconciled to God. So because of his sacrificial love for us on the cross, we are freed to pursue peace in our relationships. We are freed 
to forgive those who hurt us and to move towards reconciliation. The world doesn't have a resource like that, but we do. The world doesn't have a resource like that, but we do. We have the power of the gospel in us that can uniquely fuel peace in our relationships so that we respond to conflict differently than the world does. See, when we allow the gospel to give us humility to move toward a conflict and seek peace, when we do that, when we embrace humility and we allow the gospel to move in us, humility to move towards people in conflict and to seek peace and to understand what they're feeling and share and love, all that stuff, man, it is a powerful testimony to the world that peaceful relationships are possible even among people who are very different ethnically, economically, politically, or generationally. Even among relationships where hurts have happened. See, Jesus enables us and he empowers us to be one. To be one. And I think this is exactly what Jesus means when he says in verse 22, this is kind of a little difficult to understand verse, but look at this. He says, I have given them, he's talking about you and me, I, he's praying to God, I have given them the glory that you gave me that we may be one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. What is he talking about? How has he given us the same glory he has? Well, think about this. Jesus' glory, we learned this earlier in John chapter 12, and I think in John 11, 12. Jesus' glory, he says his glory was demonstrated in the cross. His glory was going to be demonstrated in humbly going to the cross, laying down his life for us. That's how Jesus' glory is demonstrated. And Jesus says he has given us that same glory. In other words, he has given us the capacity and the privilege of laying down our lives for others. That's glory. That's Jesus' glory. He has given us the privilege and the capacity of choosing to forgive someone who hurt us, of choosing to be compassionate towards someone who irritates us. We can do this, not in our own strength. We can do this because of Jesus living in us and us in him. That is what Jesus is praying for, that we would see our relationships through a gospel lens rather than the lens of our culture, which is just judgment, offense, being ticked off, all that stuff. Jesus is praying that we would see all of our relationships through a gospel lens. And again, I keep saying this, I'm gonna say it again here. Because it is so true, what better witness to a polarized, divided world than a diverse group of people who love each other in this way? This is the unity, this is the oneness that Jesus is praying for. But in order for that to happen, we have to see the value of it. We have to see the value of it. Jesus considered this to be a huge priority as he was praying for us. Do we see this in the same way? Unity is a priority. It's something we need to maintain and work for, or uh, I don't really, I don't, I don't really want to deal with that. I'm just going to go somewhere else. I'm gonna, yeah, I mean, which is it? <laughs> 
Are we able to enter into what Jesus is praying for? That we would move towards conflict, we would move towards relational challenges with the gospel as brothers and sisters in Christ, letting the gospel infuse our relationships so that we can see Jesus' prayer answered, so that we could actually see people who now want to know more and more about Jesus because of the oneness that they're seeing in the church, in this incredibly diverse thing called the church, the oneness and love they're seeing. That would be awesome, right? And that kind of oneness, by the way, just a little side note here, this is the heart of our upcoming marriage enrichment nights, which maybe you've seen about, is that we're doing our first one February 8th. I am so excited about this, but the heart of this, we want to intentionally pour into marriages by offering an evening once a month. This is like an hour and 15 minutes, okay? An evening once a month where I get to teach on, I'm gonna do a teaching on a relational principle that can help strengthen our marriages. And then we're gonna have a married couple share just a bit of their own journey, their own story. And then you're gonna have specific homework to take home with you to work on in your marriage that month, applying the specific principle that, that we talked about. Now this whole thing is free. Um, but you do need to register. We, we already have like 30 couples registered. It's gonna be really, really fun. It's February 8th. It's a week from Wednesday. But that's my heart in that. It's oneness, right? It's learning at a, at a marriage level. How can we live out what Jesus is praying for here? All right, so that's the first thing Jesus prays for is our unity. He's praying for our oneness in our relationships with one another. Second thing Jesus prays for is something that he's been talking about through, through the entire book of John. Um, he prays for our union with him, our union with him. So throughout this entire book of John, Jesus has repeatedly described his experience of union with the Father, right? John chapter five, I only do what I see the Father doing. and I and the Father are one, right? He says things like that. I and me and he, and, or I and him and he and me, all of that. So he has used this kind of language throughout the book of John to describe his relationship with the Father. When he gets to this farewell discourse in John 14 to 16, he does something absolutely amazing. He invites us into that experience. So he begins to use words like, remain in me, abide in me. As I am abiding in the Father, abide in me. See, he's describing how we can enter into this same union that he has with God the Father. We can experience that. Remain in me and I in you. My spirit will remain in you, I in you. You know, he's, he's saying this kind of stuff. He's describing this beautiful connected, continual union with him. Christianity is about so much more than just praying for your sins to be forgiven and you got a ticket to heaven. I mean, it is about union with God. It is about living in a continual experience of union with the Father. This is, and, 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 and Jesus, we're in this whole thing. So this is the kind of relationship Jesus longs for us to experience. So, and he's talking about that, John 14, 15, 16. He's talking about it throughout. We've been talking about it for the last couple of months. So it's no surprise that when he begins praying for you and me in John 17, he specifically prays that you and I would actually experience this union that he's been talking about all the time. So we saw earlier how he says in verse 22, I've given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one, I in them 
and you in me. See, Jesus is praying for us to experience this relational union with him, the Father in him and Jesus living in us. It is this relational union that is rooted in love. Verse 24, Father, I want those you've given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you've given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. This is an amazing verse. It could be a whole sermon, but we're not gonna spend much time here. But notice how Jesus has you on his heart. He, he says, I, he just longs to be with you and me forever. That's on his heart. He can't wait for us to experience this ultimate union with him in heaven. And he even says God has been orchestrating this whole thing, this ultimate union with him in heaven. He's been orchestrating that before the creation, the creation of the world as an ultimate expression of his love. He's been orchestrating this. And that's where it's headed, toward this ultimate union in heaven, which all which is amazing, but there's more. There's more. Jesus is not simply praying for that future experience of union with him in heaven. He is also praying for us to experience this in our lives now. Look at verse 25. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you. And they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known. See, notice what Jesus is praying for for us. Five times in this verse, Jesus uses this word known. It's relational knowing. He is praying for us to know God in an intimate way. He promises here that he will continue to make himself known to us. I love this. This is the language of intimacy, right? Into me see. That's what intimacy is about. The depth of any relationship that we have with any person, the depth of that relationship is completely dependent upon our willingness to be known by the other person. If all we do is talk about the weather or sports, we're not going to really be known by this person, right? Intimacy is about a willingness to be known, allowing ourselves to be known by another person. If someone never lets you in on what's going on, oh, I'm fine, always fine. If someone never lets you in on what's going on in their hearts, you'll never have a close relationship. Okay, but here's what is so amazing, applying that principle to our relationship with Jesus. Jesus is, is very willing, he says here, he is very willing to let us know what is going on in his heart. That's what he says. He, he is committed to revealing himself to us through his spirit. This is what he's praying for. This is what he's praying that you and I would experience, a deeper revelation of who he is. I mean, look, friends, there is nothing more important than this, I'm telling you. There is nothing more important than us seeing Jesus in the fullness of who he is. I mean, the question is, is, is this what our hearts long for? Are, are we longing to know Jesus in deeper ways, to see him in the fullness of who he is? The other night I was looking on my Kindle um, for something to read. I have like 536 books on my Kindle. Um, I love having a library at my fingertips. It's awesome. Um, and just being, what do I feel like tonight? Fiction, nonfiction, whatever. Um, just being able to peruse a, a variety of options, <clears throat> what to read at any given moment. But so <clears throat> I was going through these books and deleting some. I was just kind of cleaning house, deleting some that I wasn't really that interested in. I came across this sample. You know, you can get kind of free samples. I came across this sample of a book that I had downloaded. I didn't even remember, but I downloaded this free sample as a portion of it. It's a book called Rejoicing in Christ 
by Michael Reeves. And I, I was starting to delete it, um, I, but I decided to open it and just start reading. And I came across this quote, just in the introduction, I came across this quote, and man, I just felt my heart stir. It was, it was a quote by a, an old Scottish preacher in like the mid-1800s, a guy named Robert Murray McShane. And this, he wrote this advice to a friend. Learn much of the Lord Jesus. For every look at yourself, take 10 looks at Christ. He is altogether lovely. Such infinite majesty and yet such meekness and grace. And all for sinners, even the chief sinner. Live much in the smiles of God. Bask in his beams. Feel his all-seeing eyes settled upon you in love and repose in his almighty arms. Let your soul be filled with a heart-ravishing sense of the sweetness and excellence of Christ and all that is in him. I just stopped when I read that. Wow, that is so good. That is some great advice. I love that. For every look at yourself, take 10 looks at Jesus. For every time, oh, but me and I'm this and that, take 10 looks at Jesus for every look at yourself. See him for the beautiful Savior that he is. That's what Jesus is praying for, that our hearts would be open to Jesus revealing himself to us in more and more glorious ways and that we would actually be transformed by that intimacy, that knowledge, that deepening knowledge of who he is, which is exactly what he prays for next, this transformation. Look at this. Let, let these words sink in. It's easy to skip over this. This next verse is just amazing. Okay, look at, look at this. Let, let it sink in as I read it. I have, made no, I have made you known to them. We just read that. And will continue to make you known in order that, look at this, the love you have for me may be in them. And that I myself may be in them. I mean, think about what he is praying for. In order that the love you, Father, have for me, that love may be in them. Now, we, we could probably spend an hour or more just thinking about meditating on what Jesus is praying for here. How, let me ask this. How much does the Father, how much love does the Father have towards the Son, Jesus? It's infinite. The Father loves the Son with a dazzling intensity, as one author put it. Well, here, Jesus is praying that the Father's love for the Son will be in you and me. In other words, he is praying that we would love Jesus with the same amount of intensity and passionate joy that the Father loves Jesus. Can you imagine the impact of that? <laughs> I mean, can you imagine the impact in your life if Jesus' prayer here was answered, if you and I began to love Jesus with the same amount of passion that the Father loves Jesus, if we loved Jesus more than anything, it would transform everything. 
If we love Jesus more than anything, it would transform everything. A few weeks ago, I was feeling nervous about a, I had a meeting coming up and I was just feeling kind of nervous about it. And I, I was, I felt like the Holy Spirit gently whispered to me, hey, Alan, why do you spend so much time feeling afraid? And I, I thought, that's a great question. Uh, and so I thought about that. I've been trying to do this more and more in my life. I just began to be curious about this part of me that was feeling fear. Rather than stop feeling fear, I was just more like, hey, no, I want to be curious about this. What's going on there? So I began to be curious about this fearful part of me and, and to kind of move towards that part with compassion. Hey, why, why do you feel afraid? That kind of thing. So as I'm processing this, why, why, why do you feel afraid? I'm thinking, why, why, why do I feel afraid about this upcoming meeting? And I realized the reason I was feeling afraid was because I was loving the opinion of other people more than I was loving Jesus. See, I was giving more value to what other people were going to think or how they were going to respond than I was about what Jesus thought of me, what they thought of me versus what Jesus thought of me. And so I stopped. I realized what was going on, why I was nervous, and I don't think Jesus wants us to be nervous, doesn't want us living in fear. So I thought, okay, I just stopped in that moment and I did something really simple. I just prayed, Jesus, I love you. I love you, Jesus, more than anything or anyone. I love you. And I just felt my stress about that meeting just begin to dissipate. I mean, what impact would it have in our lives if our love for Jesus was far and away the biggest, most passionate love in our lives? What impact would it have? I think it would have a huge impact. See, by intentionally loving Jesus in that moment, turning our heart towards him and just, just reminding our heart of our love and expressing our love, by, by intentionally loving Jesus, we would experience more and more the calm compassionate confidence of Jesus' presence living in us, which is exactly what Jesus prays for at the end of his prayer, verse 6, and that I myself may be in them. I love that. Jesus longs for us to experience his presence with us every moment of every day. He longs for you and me to walk in union with him to live a life of continual intimacy with him. Not only does he long for this, he prays for this. He prayed specifically for this. He prayed for this to be real in your life and my life. God, answer this prayer. <laughs> Father, answer this prayer. Let's pray. So, Father, that really is our heart cry right now. Would you answer this prayer of Jesus? We long for all that he prayed for. We, we long for that, all of that to be real in our lives today. So, first of all, we, we pray, we want to pray for unity, for oneness in our relationships with one another. So let's just stop for a moment here and just ask the Holy Spirit if he wants to speak to us about any relationships in our lives. 
Holy Spirit, are there any relationships in our lives where we're not experiencing oneness? Where there's, there's conflict, unforgiveness? And what would it look like for us to move towards that relational tension rather than avoiding it or ignoring it? What would it look like to live the gospel in that relationship? So if the Lord brings to mind a relationship, I want you just to pray into that for a moment and and ask for his help in whatever that looks like in initiating a conversation, in listening to another person's perspective, in choosing to forgive someone who hurt you. Just welcome Jesus into that. Lord, help us have just the humility to be peacemakers with one another and to model to the world what it looks like. This amazing thing called the church, this incredibly diverse group of people in the big C church, incredibly diverse, who honor one another and move towards one another, love one another the way you and the Father experience that. We pray for that. God, we pray, we we unite our prayers with yours. Jesus, would you unify us as believers that we would be one and would be a shining light to a world that is so divided and polarized. God, would you do that? Answer this prayer, Father, of this, this prayer of Jesus. We want to be a part of the answer. And let me just mention, we're going to pray about something else in just a sec, but I want to mention if sometimes it's helpful, like that story I told, it's helpful to have a third party, just someone to be an objective sort of voice. If you're in the midst of a conflict where you just feel stuck, feel free to reach out to our pastoral staff here. Um, Any way we could help in navigating a conflict. So God, help us be peacemakers, just honoring one another. Second thing I want us to pray into here as we kind of transition in a few moments into worship, but I want you to I want to pray into this idea of union. Jesus, would you reveal more and more of yourself to us? <laughs> we want to see you in all of your glory. God, would you reveal yourself? Show us the beauty of who you are. the inexpressible majesty of your love and your holiness. God, we want to see you, Jesus. We want to see you. We want to know you more fully. And God, we want to pray. We want to join Jesus' prayer. Lord, would you grant us the power from the Holy Spirit to love Jesus like you do? 
Would you, Father, would you give us in our hearts the same love you have for Jesus? Would you give that to us, Lord? That our passion for Jesus would grow, Lord. Our desire for Jesus would grow. Our love for Jesus would grow more than any other love, God. Would you answer Jesus' prayer in us? Jesus, we love you. We love you. We love you. God, set us free to love on you. Even in these next several minutes, we have this opportunity just to be in your presence and to express our love for you, God. Jesus, we love you. God, set us free to express that whether we're standing, sitting, kneeling, we just offer our hearts to you. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for inviting us into union with you, God. So coming out of this message, however the Lord is speaking to you, uh, we want to invite you to continue to engage with that. And if you need to process that with somebody or if you have questions, uh, we're here for you. So please reach out. You can send a message here. You can go to our website. There's a messenger there, uh, chat box, where you can reach out anytime. Or if you need prayer, we would love to pray for you. You're not alone. So thanks for joining us today and have a good rest of your day.